0: Hello, and welcome to episode 48 of The Future of Work. This is the podcast that looks at every aspect of work in the future. And it's brought to you by Wonder. This is the second part of our conversation with Lucy Lewis. If you remember, along with Claire Hadar, the CEO of Wonder, we are deep in conversation with employment lawyer, Lucy Lewis. In part one, we discussed the key trends from a legal perspective. Claire, what's today's question about?
1: Doug, really, really excited about this particular part. So this is a three-part conversation and this really goes to the heart of the issue for me. So, you know, we invited Lucy onto the podcast specifically to talk about trends that are happening in employment law, but more importantly, some of the real significant changes, not just trends, but actual changes that are happening at a legislative level. And that's what this episode is about. It's about concepts like, the right to work, and how those are shifting and changing and the impact that that has on employers specifically.
0: Brilliant. Let's get stuck in.
1: Let's talk specifically about employment law now, because this is the area, you know, where your expertise really shines. What are some of the biggest evolutions that need to happen in employment law for companies to really be able to thrive in this new world of work that we find ourselves in? And, do the evolutions in employment law need to come back to these central themes that you've just spoken about? Or are they more what I would term traditional areas of employment law that actually need to be changed?
2: It's a good question. And I think it's a combination of both. I think that the the key areas, if you like traditional areas that need to be changed, focus on changes that started pre-pandemic but have been accelerated as a result of the pandemic and I think there are two key ones there. The first is that employment law pretty much globally hasn't caught up with the gig economy, so gig workers, so people that work for Uber, Deliveroo, Uber Eats, those kind of platform-based workers. Across the world there's a question about What's the status of those people? They're not traditional employees working in a nine-to-five job in an organization that they buy into where they get benefits. So what are the protections that those people should have? In many countries, the UK isn't alone in this, some of them don't have the most minimum protections against um, dismissal, sick pay, um, in some cases, um, minimum wage rights. So that the traditional infrastructure of employment law hasn't really caught up with that. You know, we learned this week that there are double the number of gig economy workers than there were before the pandemic. It's a huge shift. So that's the first thing. A related thing, and this is particularly pandemic impacted, is the question about where people work. So, you know, we've all been able to sit at home and do our jobs. And then you realize, well, actually, if I'm sat at home, why don't I go and just sit in the south of France? Or why don't I go and sit in Florida? Or I could do this in the Bahamas, wouldn't that be wonderful? And the infrastructure around employment cannot cope with that pressure. And that's because although we have become more global, actually, employment law has pretty much always been local. Tax law has pretty much always been local. And so you find that the businesses, lots and lots of them that we speak to, and this is one of the things, the questions that we get most commonly are saying, We're totally fine. We're totally fine if Claire wants to go and do this job in the Bahamas. In fact, that would be wonderful. She'd probably be much more efficient and she'd be much happier, and that would be great. And we're saying, Yeah, that would be great. But actually, she'd have the benefit of Bahamas employment law. Do you know what that is? What are you going to do about tax? Are you going to be taxing her where she is, or are you going to be taxing her in the Bahamas? So you know, that's a, it's a global problem. We see a little bit of change around digital nomad visas. Some of these countries have said, well, look, we can make all those problems go away. We will make well, well, our internal infrastructure will make all those problems go away if you are high enough earner, for example. But I think, you know, looking ahead at, at the evolution we need to see over the next probably ten five 5 to 10 years, those are the two really critical things. Can we pause a little bit there and go a little bit deeper there? What So you've named two
1: very sticky issues. And interestingly enough, when I was in the process, so I built our company in Ireland. It was headquartered in Ireland, and it just organically grew into the U.S. And I became one of these, like, falling through the cracks children who – I didn't have a tax home. I didn't have an actual employment home, you know, from our company perspective, because I was in so many different locations growing the business, just following where the business was growing. And so I can relate to this at a personal level. But as you say, we can see our customers struggling with these issues. Talk to us more specifically about, you know, you've mentioned the digital nomad visas. What are some of the other things that are emerging both at a company level, but also at a legislative level, at a country level, that are very clear changes in direction and that move away from a purely local lens.
2: If we deal with the company level first, because perhaps unsurprisingly, that's where we see most change. And I think the thing that we're, we're seeing, and this does go back to the theme about talent war, You know, the, the great resignation, there is a war. There are businesses prepared to take More of a risk within certain parameters. So, you know, allowing people, for example, to not necessarily go and live in another country long term, but to have an extended break. So saying, you know, for two or three weeks, you can go to wherever you like and do your role from there. So we'll give greater flexibility to out- to travel outside the country of choice. That, that legally involves risk. The risk doesn't change really if you go for three weeks or you go for three months. But there's a kind of acceptance that across businesses, we're going to just push the boundaries of what's possible because this is something that we want, employees want. That the legislative change is much, much slower. And there's a challenge for, countries because what was able to happen through the pandemic was a kind of turning a blind eye there was a sort of unwritten acceptance that people ended up stuck places so you know you may have gone home to Spain to see with your family and then the travel restrictions meant you couldn't come back and so there was a kind of view okay well we can make this problem go away in the short term by just saying we're not going to come after businesses for tax for example because that the circumstances were so exceptional that that person that's normally based in London couldn't travel from Madrid. Now they are being forced to to look at this question. um, And I don't think they've decided what the answers are. I think it will require probably a global response. And we know that, you know, a global approach to taxation generally is slow. If you ask me what I'd like to see, I'd like to see the future of work being that there is Much greater acceptance of digital nomad visas—you know, visas that do allow people to travel much more flexibly, that allow them to do that in a way that doesn't create tax complications for businesses, doesn't it create employment rights complications for businesses? But I think those things are difficult to achieve, and I don't think it's something that's going to happen quickly. So, you know, I think the, the, the struggle for businesses where you know they want to say yes, Claire, go to the Bahamas. I think that immediate struggle that there's actually some legal challenges in that. I don't think they're going to disappear overnight. So it becomes a risk analysis.
0: Lucy, we spoke a little bit earlier about employee mobility. Also, there's the right to work. I mean, these are things that have come under the, under scrutiny for the last two years. What would you say are the further evolutions that need to happen for that to become more widespread?
2: The three key issues that we have to fix are the right to work, as you, you say. So Actually, the right to work is often the biggest challenges for businesses because most countries have a day one right to work issue. So they'll have to look at how they adjust that. That the, the safe ground, I think, is that. Uh, Countries would allow people to work from there for a relatively short period of time. I don't think we'll get to a place where you know the, the right to work or the migration issue disappears completely. I mean, there are many of us philosophically that would like to see total freedom of movement. I think freedom of movement has become such a political issue that we won't get there. So I think the most likely evolution is that you don't have a day one right to work challenge that you could go to France or. To Spain or to the Bahamas for say four weeks without there being a right to work issue. The tax challenge needs to be addressed. That's potentially easier for employees that are essentially not really having any presence. They're not doing any work in that country. They're not delivering any value in terms of you know signing contracts with Spanish companies in Spain or French companies in France. But they're just doing the kind of role that the tax challenges may be able to be addressed there. One of the bigger challenges. Is the employment rights question that the the general principle is that you you benefit from the employment protections in the country where you are working and there is again a philosophical question about whether it's right that if you choose to go to france claire and work from there and that's your active decision, whether you should be able to opt out of the, the employment rights that you would normally have just by virtue of being in France, for example. And so the evolution that we'd need to see is some kind of safe packaging of opting out of those rights, perhaps again for a short period of time, perhaps again reflecting the nature of your work. But, but you know, lots of countries feel rightly very strongly that employee protection is important and they're uncomfortable about being seen as spaces where people can come and work without being properly protected. So those are the key areas of evolution. None of them, unfortunately, has an easy answer. Yeah, they're very,
1: very complex issues. And I think that last one, because these are almost like the three pinnacle issues, if you could call it that, because the definition of these three at a global level is going to define everything else that comes after it. And for me, one of the differentiations that's important to make is... What becomes the employee's responsibility and what becomes the business's responsibility? Because right now, that's also an area that's very undefined. It's defined according to old principles, but it's not defined in this this new era.
0: And that is where we draw the line today. If you missed the first part of our conversation about the evolution of employment law, check it out on Spotify. Google or Apple Podcasts, or of course on the Wanda website. That's W-N-D-Y-R We'll conclude our chat with Lucy shortly. From Claire and myself, we'll see you soon.